what happened basically you know basically we're going to see the same thing today he's just going to have different <coughs> different audience um so i'm trying to think of where i'm at um felix in 20 in 24 paul gave his uh had a trial before felix who was the governor at the time and uh basically felix just said we're gonna put this whole thing off he stuck paul in prison and left him there um, in the intervening time paul stayed about two years we're gonna see that in the first verse of 25 he stayed about two years in that jail and in the, in the intervening time um, nero actually recalled felix as governor of the province and uh, replaced him with a guy named festus and what we're going to see today is he's going to uh, this whole thing is going to start up again uh, now festus is going to hear his case um, you think of festus he's a new governor he wants to be you know the the jerusalem's the biggest city in his province it's the center of religion center of culture all this thing so he's wanting to do he's kind of wanting to do good by them you know he's wanting to make a good showing so the big thing about rome then was they just don't want to revolt they don't care what happens as long as there's no rebellions no revolt so festus is trying to you know keep everybody happy and, and do good and so the first thing that's going to come up is they want something to be done about paul and so festus is going to hear the case um I'm going to skip around a bit in, in chapter 25 and 26 because Festus is going to bring Herod Agrippa in. We'll talk about him when we get to 26. So the very first few verses of uh, 25, it says, Now when Festus was come... Uh, Okay, let me read the last part of 24. That way you'll get the context. It says, But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room. That means he took Felix's place. And Felix, willing to sh um, and Felix, willing to show Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Caesarea was where the capital of the province was, uh, as far as Rome was concerned. And Jerusalem was in the city, so he went up to visit with Jerusalem. New governor checking out the lay of the land meeting the people you know the deal uh it says then the high priest and chief of the jews informed him against paul and besought him and desiring favor against him that he would send for him to jerusalem laying in wait to in the way to kill him the high priest and the chief priests of the jews asked festus to bring paul to jerusalem to start this whole trial over again and what they really wanted was to continue the plot remember we saw last week that the plot was they wanted him to be brought down to the council and on the way they were going to kill him they were still so two years later all this is still going on they still want paul dead uh felix uh festus is i'm gonna get i'm gonna say felix two or three times so you just have to forgive me festus doesn't uh he doesn't bite. He says, no, I'm going back to Caesarea. You come with me and you can let me hear the trial. And what goes on, I'm just going to kind of give you the overview rather than just read uh, read everything. Let me just read a few more verses and then we'll skip down to uh, 26. He says... 
Festus answered, you know, you just come to uh, you come to Caesarea and we'll we'll check it out again. We'll hear his trial. Verse six, he said, and when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought in. When he was come, the, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Same thing we saw before. We basically went through all of this last time before Felix. They probably were bringing the same charges. What were the charges they were bringing? He was teaching against Moses. And the law of the prophets. Teaching against the law. He had done what to the temple? He defiled, defamed the temple. Probably the same charges. And you can imagine Festus is probably thinking the same thing like, so what? You know, who cares? And so... It says, uh, uh, while he answered for himself, neither against the law nor the Jews, neither against the temple nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. Paul said, I have not done any of this stuff. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, will thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Now see that? Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor. Why do you think he did? Why did he want to do the Jews a favor? We already talked about it a minute ago. Huh? Yeah, he was new. He wanted to make a good showing. He didn't want them. I mean, they were the power structure amongst the people. They didn't want them, you know, getting the people riled up against him and all that kind of stuff. So he's thinking, you know, I'll do him a favor. And he asked Paul, Paul, do you want to go back to Jerusalem and let us let us try you there? Now, what's Paul thinking? Uh, no. What's going to happen if he goes back to Jerusalem? I mean, it's already told us twice. They want to just kill him on the way. They don't even, I don't care about a trial. But what is he, what's Paul, if I'm Paul, I'm thinking now, I'm not going to get a fair trial here before Festus either. I mean, this guy's just wanting to do, he's just wanting to please these other guys, you know? So uh, I'm kind of, I don't want none of y'all listening to me. I don't want none of y'all trying my case. And so here's where we get something very interesting. Paul says he has to go to Jerusalem. By this time, Paul's realized that I'm not going to get a fair trial here at all. And so what he says is, um, he says, verse 10, it says, Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. What he says is, I belong in a Roman court, not in a Jewish court. He says, where I ought to be judged. He says, to the Jews I have done no wrong, as thou very well know. He basically tells Festus, you know that I haven't done anything wrong, and I belong in a Roman court, not a Jewish court. And he says, for if I be an offender, have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. He said, if I'm guilty, I'll take death. It's no problem for me. It'll be, be fine. He says, but if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man can deliver me unto them. And then he says these four words, which uh, basically put us halt to the entire proceeding. He says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, when a Roman citizen appeals to the Caesar, this was a right of a Roman citizen Everything stops. Everything comes to a screeching halt. There are no more trials, no more questioning, no more punishments, no more nothing. The Roman citizen is transported to Rome to stand before Caesar. Basically, it's like the Supreme Court. You know, once you appeal to the Supreme Court, it probably wouldn't work the same way here. But at this point, uh, Festus has got to be saying, oh, no. 
uh, because Paul basically has put a stop to, you ever seen them cop shows where when the, the criminal says, I want to talk to my lawyer, everything has to stop. You know, they have to go get the lawyer. That's basically what everything stops here. There's no more trials, no more nothing. But the problem that Festus is going to have now is that Festus is going to send him to Caesar. He's going to have to send Paul to Caesar and he's going to have to send him with some charges is the reason why he's sending him. And he can't write all this religious stuff down because basically Caesar would, you know, it would be bad for uh, Festus to send Paul, a Roman citizen, uh, under the condemnation of death for really nothing at all that they would consider worthy to be killed for. Does that make sense? He's got to write a letter saying, Dear Caesar, this guy is charged with X, Y, and Z, and he's condemned, condemned to die. We couldn't get his trial figured out. He wanted to go see you. Here you go. Now, if X, Y, and Z is just a bunch of backwater religious stuff, Caesar's going to be like, what? This guy can't be killed for all this stuff. He's a Roman citizen. Are you crazy, Festus? So now Festus has a problem. What am I going to write in this letter? What am I going to do? Okay, this is where enters this guy named Herod Agrippa. And this is going to be Herod Agrippa II. He is going to be, I, I'm doing it off the top of my head, I'm thinking I'm right. I, he is going to be the grandson of the Herod that... Um, killed all the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. He's going to be his grandson. And Herod was, he, he was, they called him king, uh, but really he was kind of a ruler under the hand of the Romans. Basically, when Rome conquered a province, I'm just kind of talking, if you have any questions, just speak up. Um, when Rome conquered a province, they would put a leader in, in charge. Sometimes it was of, of the people. Um, and they called him king or ruler, but he really wasn't a king. It was Claudius who gave him his territory, and then Nero gave him some more territory later on. So this guy was quote-unquote King Herod, King Agrippa, but really he didn't have much authority other than what Rome had given him. And so when Festus and King Agrippa are kind of talking to each other, as we're going to see here in a minute, basically Festus is not bowing before Agrippa, and Agrippa is not bowing before Festus. They're kind of talking as equals here, uh, but they call him king. And so he's a Jewish guy, so he knows about the Jewish law. He knows about the traditions. He knows about the temple. Uh, Herod Agrippa II was given the authority by Rome to appoint the high priest and to uh, over all the affairs of the temple. So Herod Agrippa II could, he could yank a high priest and put another one in his spot. He was basically in control of all that stuff. So he kind of knew how all that worked. And so Festus, Herod Agrippa and his sister Bernice show up in Caesarea and Festus takes this as a perfect opportunity to let Agrippa hear this guy, Paul, and let him talk to him about all this Jewish stuff that we don't really know anything about. And Agrippa can help me write out the charges to send Paul to Rome. Y'all with me? Y'all looking at me like, man, you got it? You got it all? So what's Agrippa doing there? He there to see Festus. <laughs> He's there to see, okay, you got Festus, who's a Roman, brand new to the province, don't know anything about all this stuff, and he has been saddled now with the Paul problem. They put this trial on him that, you know, he really don't, he really don't 
see anything that he deserves death for, but he's wanting to do good to these Jewish leaders because he's wanting them to like him, you know, and so he can have a good rapport with them, no rebellions, no revolts, all that kind of stuff. And so he's kind of working the system. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul, let's just go on back to Jerusalem and we'll, we'll, we'll try this whole thing there. Paul throws a monkey wrench in the work by saying, I appeal to Caesar. Now Festus has a problem. I've got to write some charges to send this guy to Caesar. And I don't have nothing to write. So Festus is going to call on Agrippa to help him decipher all this Jewish accusations. Y'all with me? Okay. All right. So he is, uh, he, he, he is ready to uh, basically... The rest of this is talking about King Agrippa. rest of chapter five, uh, 25 is King Agrippa visits Festus and Festus tells him what's going on, tells him about the Paul, Paul problem and all that. And look at verse 21 of chapter 25. Here's really the synopsis of what's going on. Festus says this to Agrippa. He says, but when Paul had appealed to be reserved unto the hearing of Augustus, that's Caesar. Uh, it's another word for Caesar. It was Nero at the time. I, I commanded him to be kept until I might send him to Caesar. And because uh, that is so much question. Uh, anyway, he was wanting to help him. He's wanting him. But when Paul had appealed to reserve the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept until he might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And so Festus orders a hearing in the last few verses. Uh, and verse 26 is the really what he says, of whom I have no certain. He's talking to, about Paul. I don't have any certain thing to write unto my Lord, unto Caesar about him. He says, wherefore, I have brought him before you, Agrippa, and specifically before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have something to write. You see that? Everybody see it? He wants Agrippa to help him with something to write. Now, all of 26 is Paul's... Um, Testimony, his case before Agrippa. Now, here's the thing that's fascinating, and this is what I want you to see. Oh, probably not going to go verse by verse through 26 either. Here's what I want you to see. Paul doesn't have to say a word in front of Agrippa if he doesn't want to. Paul has already appealed to Caesar. Agrippa's not in charge of anything uh, as far as Paul's concerned. Paul's a Roman citizen. Paul's going to Caesar whether Agrippa says he's right or whether Agrippa says he's wrong. It doesn't matter. Basically, Paul could, I used to have, when I taught this, this chapter to the youth, I used to, we had this saying, we're going to stick it to Festus. And that's what Paul, Paul could have done. He could have he stuck it to Festus right there by not opening his mouth at all and just forcing Festus to send him to Caesar without any charge worth writing. He could have got Festus in serious trouble and not said anything. And so uh, he chooses to speak before Agrippa. Why do you think he does that? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And we're going to see that. He is. Uh, he gets to testify to the gospel. Now, think about this for a minute. Think about how important it is to be a witness for Paul that... He knows he's being railroaded. He really, he's already been told he's going to Rome. God has showed him in a vision he's going to Rome. And so he's going to get there. He knows he's going to testify before Caesar. These people have basically kept him in prison for two years for no reason. I mean, Felix left him in prison and two years later, Felix comes in and starts, you know, restarted this whole trial process and all that. So he's been sitting in jail for two years. 
And now the first thing he sees, the first light of day that he sees is Festus basically trying to set him up by wanting to do the Jews a favor and send him back to Jerusalem. And he appeals to Caesar. So at this point, he doesn't trust. He definitely doesn't trust the Jews in Jerusalem who want him dead. He doesn't trust Festus. He doesn't trust the system that's going on right now. And so they have pretty much done nothing but persecuted him from the start. If it's me. I was I would want to make life as difficult for Festus as I possibly could. I would want to I would want to stick it, stick it to him for sure. But that's not what he does. He goes ahead and testifies before Agrippa. And I don't know if I'm giving you the the proper perspective of it, but it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Um, He doesn't have. I mean, this is not a trial before Agrippa. They call it the trial before Agrippa, but Agrippa can't do anything to him or can't save him from anything. I mean, basically, there's no reason whatsoever that he should even open his mouth to give any more testimony in front of these people. He's already appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, he will go no matter what happens. And he chooses to lay the whole thing out again so that he would have an opportunity, not only for Agrippa, but for his court to hear the gospel. He chooses that... I'm here to be a witness for Christ. I'm not here just to get off. The political thing to do would be keep your mouth shut. Let them send you to Caesar. When Caesar sees there's no charges against you, you'll get let out. Everything will be fine. That would be the most politically expedient thing to do. That's not what Paul chooses to do. He goes ahead and presents his case before Agrippa for no reason whatsoever other than he wants to convert Agrippa and he wants to convert all those people that are that are hearing him. What does that say to you about his mindset? Well, just like your sermon this morning, his purpose. His purpose was the gospel. His purpose wasn't to stick it to him. It was to glorify God yeah. and spread the gospel. His purpose wasn't even to get out unscathed. His purpose was to be a witness and to testify wherever he was in whatever he was doing, no matter what was going on. And to think about think about it way back when we in Acts in Acts chapter nine, when he was first converted, uh, God told him, he said, you're going to be a witness for me in front of kings and powers and and peoples and Gentiles and all those things and all that's coming to pass. Not only is he going to go, he, he's about to he's about to give his testimony before the king of uh, this province, the tetrarch was what it's called. He was given this power by he was like a local local ruler, and so all the people in this court would be able to hear Paul's testimony, and so it was really a big deal. Now, I don't know if I would have. I don't know if I, especially after, I mean, you think about, they kept him in jail two years. So it's like last week we were talking about Felix and it seems like, well, he went to Felix and then he went to Festus and then we're we're talking about two years sitting in jail, staring at the wall, waiting, just waiting. Don't know what you're waiting for. God promised I'm going to go to Rome. I wish you'd hurry up. It's two years, two years now. I've been sitting here in jail. I think I would have, I think I would have stuck it to him. I think I would have. I don't know, but Paul didn't, and I don't, that is just amazing to me. So anyway. Amazing, because people do less to us, less than that to us now, we want to stick it to them. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) So Paul is going to get heard by Agrippa. In verse 1 of 26, it says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You're permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy 
He says, basically, I am so glad to get, not only does he not, you know, I would have just clammed up and said, I ain't saying nothing. I don't know, you know, I'm going to Caesar. I don't know. Uh. He said, I am so glad that I get to testify before you. I I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I'm accused of by the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in the customs and questions uh, which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. That's his little introduction. Verse 4 and 5, he gives his background as a Pharisee. My manner of life from my youth. Um, You know, these people know uh, I'm known among all the Jews. They knew me from the beginning. Uh, verse 5 says, it, if they would testify after the most, uh, that, that after the most strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. He says, now this is, this is important, and we're going to see this over and over again, especially as after, as after we get done with Acts. There's two more chapters. We're going to start in Genesis. It's going to be a, a, a really important uh, theme that we're going to see. He says, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. You see that? You see what he's saying? Paul is, he's told us this four or five times already, so this is nothing new. But he continues with Agrippa, who knows all about the Jewish prophets and the Jewish fathers, Jewish traditions. He is not, Paul did not believe he was starting a new religion or promoting a new religion. He didn't believe that this was anything other than the fulfillment. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was the fulfillment. So it wasn't as if Paul had started this new thing and he was knocking on people's door saying, hey, Jesus has come and we got this new thing now. We, you know, we don't have to do that old, old thing anymore. Of course, it was, it was a new thing, but it was a fulfillment of the old. So many people today don't understand that. They think, you know, the Old Testament is just a history book and we're all New Testament today. Actually, the Old Testament is, it's the prophecies and the, uh, the foreshadowing of what was to come and the fulfillment of those things. We're going to see that as we walk through Genesis. Genesis is all about Jesus. Exodus is all about Jesus. And we're going to see it over and over and over and over and over again. Abraham was given a promise. The promise of Abraham that they claimed was that you would be the father of many nations and through you, through your offspring, the whole earth will be blessed. And that offspring, we're told in Galatians by Paul, that offspring, the seed of Abraham, is Christ. And those who trust in Christ are part of the seed of Abraham. And so it it all ties together. So what Paul is preaching to Agrippa is not, hey, Agrippa, come hang out with this new thing we got going on. It was Agrippa, Jesus, the perfect Israelite came, the Son of God, and he fulfilled all the things that you're waiting for. All the things that the Jews are waiting for, the traditions, the temple, the sacrifices, all the things that pointed forward to this Messiah have been accomplished and have been done. And so... He says in verse 7, unto which promise, unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. He says the the thing Jesus has done is fulfilled the hope of the 12 tribes. Who are the 12 tribes? That's no brainer. 12 tribes of Israel. At this time in first century and even now, most people that are national Israelites can't tell you what tribe they're from. 
Even in the first century, they didn't know. They had no clue. People from a lot of people from Jude and Benjamin kind of knew who they were because they had never they had never left the land. But most of them had no clue. And so by using this language, the 12 tribes, he's pointing back to the Abrahamic promise. He's pointing back to the Old Testament. Are y'all with me? Y'all making sense? Am I making sense? He's pointing back to all these Old Testament promises saying this is this is the fulfillment. And verse eight, he says, this really ain't a big deal. He said, I mean, it really shouldn't be a surprise to you. He said, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Remember, that's why he is. That's why he is. uh, That's why he is on trial, because he said that this Jesus has raised from the dead. And he says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. He continues verse 9 and 10 to talk about how he persecuted Christians. In verse 11, he talks about how he caused them to blaspheme. How could he cause Christians to blaspheme? What were they blaspheming? When it says verse 11, he's telling them about, he's telling them his testimony about how he killed Christians, how he punished them in every synagogue. He says, and compelled them to blaspheme. How did he compel Christians to blaspheme? Now, I don't have a specific example. I'm just saying, if you're saying Paul was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, but he says he was causing the Christians to blaspheme. Because he he was threatening to kill them if they didn't denounce Christ. Right. So, But do you see that he's equating blasphemy here with rejecting Christ, with denouncing Christ, with saying bad things about Christ. It's not just he's equating the Messiah here with God. He's equating Jesus with God in the presence of Agrippa and this whole court of people that know all about Jewish law. They would think blasphemy, saying something about Jesus is not blasphemy because Jesus is not God. But Paul's equating here that, you know, when I persecuted the Christians, I was a Pharisee. I was doing it according to the law. I thought I was doing God's service. He said, and by forcing them to denounce Christ, reject Christ, I was compelling them to blaspheme God himself. You see how it connects together? Everybody with me? He's basically giving him his, you know, about all I used to do. And... He tells us about his conversion, verses 12 through 15. You know the story of the road of Damascus. Midday, he saw a light from heaven. They were falling. They fell to the earth. He heard a voice speaking. But in this testimony, this is the third time Paul's given this testimony. In this testimony, he tells us some things that we haven't heard before about what Jesus actually commissioned him uh, to do and to be. It says, we heard the part in verse 15 says, and I said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus persecutors. And then verse 16, 17, and 18, we're given a little more information about what Jesus actually told him there on the road to Damascus. He said, but rise and stand upon thy feet. This is Jesus talking to Paul on the road to Damascus. Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of the things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. He says, this is what he's called him to do. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. He said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Why is he sending them to the Gentiles? Verse 18. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Do you see what he has connected the people of God with the people of Christ? He's saying, look, what I've been called to do He's already preached. He's preaching in front of Agrippa saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, the promise that we're all waiting for. The Messiah is coming. All the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus, knocked me to the ground, told me to rise up and sent me to the Gentiles to tell them that they are able to have their eyes open and to turn away from Satan and to be part of the people who are made holy through me. He's putting the the two together. Do you see that? He's saying not only am I here to proclaim to you that the promises to Israel have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and life. He's the fulfillment of all the prophets. But also I am here to tell the Gentiles that the door is open for them to come in to be part of God's people. For them to come in and be uh, have an inheritance among, among God's people. And remember, when this all started in Jerusalem, what was the one thing that he said that caused the riot? After he was standing on the steps of Antonia and he was talking to the people in Hebrew, he was telling them, he's told them all this stuff before. The one thing he said that caused the riot to start again, you remember what it was? The Gentiles. That's right. I'm preaching to the Gentiles. They started rioting again. He's making his whole case in front of Agrippa here how God has united all things, fulfilled all things in in Jesus Christ. And really, obedience to this is his only crime. In verse 19 and 20, he says... Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and Jerusalem. He said, I, I talked to him about it in Damascus, talked to him about it in Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, then went to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance, do works that show that you have repented. And it says, and this is the cause, for these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me, having therefore obtained help of God, I can Continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Did you notice that again? Verse 22. He says, look, God has been helping me this whole time. I know I've been in jail two years. I know I've been persecuted. I know I've been tried over and over again. God's helped me. But he said, look what his preaching, Paul equates his preaching in 22, saying, I am saying no other thing than those which the prophets and Moses did say would come. Do you see what he just did? He says, the message that I'm giving you is the same message that Moses gave you. It's the same message that all the prophets before me gave. So when we talk about, you've probably heard me say before, you'll hear me say it again, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole scripture is about Christ. Uh, the Old Testament is foretelling Christ. It's showing pictures of the coming of Christ in the sacrifices and the temples and the high priest and all those things. All those things are pictures of Christ coming. And then the New Testament is the revealing of Christ. And so Paul is saying right here before all these Jewish guys in this court, King Agrippa, and his family included, he's saying, I am not preaching a new message. I'm preaching the same thing to you that Moses preached. I'm preaching the same thing to you that the prophets preached. That Christ should suffer, verse 23, 
and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Was Christ the first that rose from the dead? Huh? Lazarus rose from the dead? Who else? There's a couple more. But yeah, you. The guy that fell out of the window? No, he was after Christ. Oh. Eutychus, yeah. Uh, the chick, Tabitha, uh, Talitha, whoever, uh, Jesus laid on her and said, Child. Elisha, the little boy that Elisha raised. Yeah. What's the difference between Lazarus and Jesus' resurrection? Life forevermore. Yeah. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. Lazarus rose from the dead, but Lazarus got old and died again. Jesus rose from the dead, never to face death again. And all those, all those who are die in Christ, die never to die again. All those who, I probably shouldn't say it that way, all those who follow Christ in, in death live forevermore. Live to never die again. Does that make sense? So when it says, you'll see this over and over in the New Testament about Christ being the firstborn from the dead, first to rise from the dead. It's talking about an eternal resurrection. The little girl that Jesus lay, that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead, they were truly raised from the dead, but they weren't raised to eternal life. They died again. They died again later. Uh, Jesus raised never to die again. And then at the end of this chapter, it's so. this is what got me thinking about Paul's motive. At the end of this chapter, uh, uh, Agrippa said, you know, this is where he says, Do you almost persuaded me. He said, in verse 28, then Agrippa said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That word almost could also be translated in a short time. So like Agrippa's, all, uh, he's, he's almost saying, Paul, I gave you this opportunity to defend yourself. Why are you wasting it trying to convert me? Are you really trying to convert me in this short period of time? Or he could be saying, you know, Paul, you make a really good case. You know, I'm almost there. You know, I'm, all, I'm almost there. You almost got me. And look what Paul says. He says, Paul says, I would to God, that means I wish, I will to God, that not only you, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, of course, except for these bonds. And so we get a, a glimpse into Paul's mind here. He wasn't, he's gone through this whole ordeal. Not to defend himself, not to get out of the charges, not to prove himself right, not to prove that they were wrong. He, he went through this whole ordeal when he didn't have to say a word and he would have still gone to Caesar. He's still going to Caesar. He went through all of this just because I want you to be converted and I want all these people around here that are listening to me to be converted. He went through this whole thing that he didn't have to go through just so he could bring the testimony of Christ, just so he could be a witness before all these people. And then look what, they all get up, Agrippa and Festus and Bernice, Bernice was Agrippa's sister, uh, and so they all get up and they're walking out and they, they're talking amongst themselves. As verse 31 says, and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves saying, this man doeth nothing worthy of death or bonds. And then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appeared to Caesar he could have he could have got off of the whole thing 
Festus, he, we already told Festus knew that he didn't do nothing wrong. Paul said, you know I had nothing wrong. They know I had nothing wrong. Now Agrippa, who knows all about the Jewish customs, the Jewish traditions, the Jewish laws, Agrippa said, come on man, this guy ain't done nothing wrong. This guy hadn't done anything. But it's too late now. You can't just let him go. He's appealed to Caesar. Everything comes to a screeching halt and he goes to Caesar. And so what you see here is that there was a good chance that Paul could have got out of this whole ordeal. But he chose to be a testimony to Christ. He chose to be a witness to Christ. Festus is going to have to write a letter to Caesar Making up some charges, or we, we don't really know what he wrote. Uh, the end of Acts is going to come before he gets to see Caesar. And so we're going we're gonna to leave Paul in Rome, in jail, waiting to see Caesar. But the point that I want you to see is Paul chose not to be comforted, not to be at ease, not to make sure my rights aren't violated, not to make sure that I get the best end of the stick, not to make sure that uh, they pay for what they did to me. He chose to be a witness in the midst of all of this persecution and trial and suffering and all these things. He chose to be a testimony to Christ rather than to see himself um, vindicated. Make sense? Man, y'all are quiet. <laughs> Why can't, why can't they just let him go? Well, now that he's appealed to Caesar, it's too late. He's got to go to Caesar because the case hadn't been heard. The problem is Festus won't let him go because the Jews want him dead. And if, if, they, if they riot, Festus is in trouble. Uh, that's why it, it doesn't tell us in the Bible, but in history, what happened to Felix was the Jews rose up and Felix sent in the troops and there was a massacre and the Jews went and petitioned Caesar and Caesar recalled Felix. And so we're not told that in scripture, but that in Roman history that you see that's what happened. And so Festus is trying, if he just lets Paul go, he's fearing, you know, they're going to, they're going to rise up against me. If they, if they do anything, they send a, a, a team over to see Caesar, he's going to replace me. And, and so he, he couldn't just let him go. But then again, neither could he just say, okay, execute him. Because Paul's a Roman citizen and you can't just go around executing Roman citizens. That was a crime worthy of death itself. So he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. He wants to keep his position, but also he, he, he can't go against he can't go against Roman law and lose his head in the process. Does that make sense? So he kind of doesn't know what to do. He that's why he was trying to ease Paul into going back to Jerusalem. Well, let's go back to Jerusalem and have a trial there. At least, you know, they could kill him in the night. And, you know, it's not my fault. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't know they were going to assassinate him. Or at least the Jews could have their religious trial and Festus could say, well, you know what? I was just trying to keep the peace and this is how it turned out. Um, and so he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place as to what to do. Uh, but once Paul appealed to Caesar, all this is over. I mean, there's no more trials. There's no more questioning. There's no more nothing. Everybody goes to Rome. The accusers go to Rome. Paul goes to Rome. And you're going to see that in verse in chapter 27. Uh, chapter 27 is a big boat ride. I mean, that's really, I, I really don't know how I'm going to talk about it with you other than just to tell you he went from here to here. And then he went from here to here. And then he went from here to here. And then there's a shipwreck and, you know, all that goes on. But that the rest of this book, chapter 28, 27, 28, is Paul traveling to Rome to see Caesar. And we're going to end with Paul sitting in Rome waiting to see Caesar.
So basically, now all bets are off. He's going to Rome just like God said. Any other questions? If Paul could be a witness in them circumstances, what's, what's my problem? What's our problem? Going to work, being a witness. Going to school and be a witness. Going in our family, being a witness. Being a testimony to Christ. If he could do it, if he could do it in that circumstance and say, you know what, I count my life as nothing, but rather that the gospel would be, would be uh, advanced, we shouldn't have any trouble. Is any, anybody want to say anything? Man, I feel like I've just been talking and boring y'all to death. Y'all ready to go? So Felix is who now? Felix was the governor that's been replaced by Festus. Felix was the governor in chapter 25. Felix was replaced by Festus. Felix was recalled to Rome and Caesar put Portius Festus in the governorship. So from 26, chapter 26 on, Festus is the governor. Uh, chapter 27, Festus is going to put Paul under the care of a centurion. They're going to stick him on a boat and it's going to be a long journey, like a two-year journey to Rome. Going to get shipwrecked, going to go from port to port, going to try to jump on this Alexandrian grain ship and, you know, trying to hitch a ride here, hitch a ride there. Uh, he's going to be shipwrecked. Uh, it's an interesting story. He's going to get bit by a snake on the island. I mean, you talk about having a bad month, about having a bad year. He's pretty much everything that could possibly happen to you is going to happen. Uh, even when, and, and he's going to hold his testimony. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. We'll get to it. That's who Felix is. Anything else? Y'all good? I got done early, didn't I?